All right, can we open our Bibles quickly? Let's kick off today from the book of um, Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2, we are going to read two portions to declare the glory of the Lord. The second one is because I was going to read it anyway. And because we read it um, as part of our declaration of the glory of God, I said, let's just take two of them together. So, let's start from Psalm number 2. Then after that, we'll go to Colossians chapter 1. Now, again, we read this loudly. It's a declaration, it's a proclamation. We are proclaiming the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So, let's do it together. One, two, let's go. And the peoples devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel against, together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cause from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take one in all judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Quickly, let's go to the book of Colossians chapter 1. That's going to be our first Bible reading for today. Um, because we also use it as our declaration. So that's why we're reading it together. We are going to read from verse um, 13, and we are going to read all the way to verse um, 20. All right? Eight verses there. One, two, let's go. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Father, we thank you. This is the Lord Jesus who have declared his glory. Lord, let his glory be manifested in this place this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Let it be manifested in our lives continually in the name of Jesus. Amen. And let it be manifested as it brings peace upon this nation and drives away iniquity from therein in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we settle down this evening to hear your word, from you we receive inspiration, we receive understanding, we receive insight, we receive clarity, we receive direction, and we receive healing in the name of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, we declare as follows. One, two, let's go. 
has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said amen. If you say that because you believe it, the Lord will answer you this evening. Why are people reluctant to say Are they charging for amen? Huh? Are they charging? So, according to the size of your amen, so will your blessing be. Amen. Why do we have to threaten ourselves? <laughs> I said, this evening the Lord will speak to you. Amen. The Lord will give you direction. Amen. The Lord will make what was confusing clear to you. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As his word is coming forth this evening, a specific word will come into your own life. Amen. You will hear it and you will know it. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And healing is coming with it. Listen, healing of every kind is coming with it. Amen. It will cure cancer. Amen. It will cure high blood pressure. Amen. It will reopen kidneys that are shut down. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Strength for that weak heart. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, clarity for that confused mind. Amen. Psychiatric disorders will be healed. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Addictions will be broken. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, we receive it by faith. Amen. Let's take our sins. The Lord is good. Alright, we have read a number of scriptures, um, part of it which will be um, our text for today, that book of Colossians chapter 1, what we read from there is simply that Jesus is the center of everything. It tells us from that book of Colossians chapter 1, that is the beginning, um, if you read from that verse, um, uh, look again back to that verse 14, uh, from verse 15. It says, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. It says in verse 17, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's also head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. All right, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And he says to us that it was the Father's good pleasure that the fullness, everything, would dwell in him. And through Christ, he reconciles all things to himself. And Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you know, he said that that statement is true, or something was wrong with whoever made that statement. I hope you're getting my point. There's no other way. That statement is either totally true, or whoever made it had a mental problem. All right, and we know he doesn't have, he didn't have a mental problem. It's not possible. I hope you're getting my point. He said it because it is true. The world these days tries to make it look as if you are being ridiculous by saying only your religion is the correct one. Now that's the perspective that makes it wrong for them to think it's we are saying is our religion that is right. Our own is not a religion. I hope you're getting my point. It is not a religion. Christianity is not progression from Judaism. Again, a lot of us Christ preachers will make that mistake. We want to make Christianity look like a progression from Judaism. 
It is not. It annoys me, really, personally. When I see Christians, the other day, one woman, they showed us, was giving a prophecy. What first threw me off the prophecy was that she was wearing a, what is that thing? That prayer, Jewish prayer shawl. And I was like, does it, you think this makes you anointed? You are not anointed. You may as well tie, um, what they call, Ankara on your head. It doesn't make any difference. You put a bone there. We will believe you. This one that you can't come from during your so that, you know, it's a subtle way of trying to deceive us. I'm sorry to say it like that. You want to make, give us this cloak of spirituality because you are wearing a Jewish shawl. Christianity is not a progression from Judaism. It's not at all. It's something that never existed before. It's not a religion. It's somebody's life. I hope you're getting my point. It's a whole life. So it's not like, uh, okay, Hinduism can be true. Uh, why, why is Christianity true? If you can approach God, approach him, let us see. If you can go there, do it now. Do you get my point? It's like water saying that I'm the water of life. Do you follow my point? It's not, it, see, it's not competition. If you don't like it, go and drink hydrochloric acid. If you don't, <laughs> do you follow my point? If you don't like it, drink palm oil. Drink something else and rehydrate yourself. Let us see. Try. So oxygen must be the only one that we need to breathe in. Try breathe carbon monoxide. Try it. Breathe pure nitrogen. Let's see how long you will last. Listen, exclusivity is part of life. Water is exclusive. There is nothing on this earth like water. Take it or leave it. So must the sun be the only one shining and making our plants grow? Close the sun now. Eh? Put your own thing there. Let it make the plants grow. Exclusivity is part of life. Oxygen is the only thing that will keep you alive. If you don't have oxygen, if you like breathe as fast as a, as a dog that just finished running, you will die. At, the quicker you breathe, the quicker you die. You must have oxygen. Jesus is that oxygen. Jesus is that water of life. That's what we are saying. It's not about, what about uh, Muslims that don't know him? Then let them come and know him. That's what we are preaching. What about Hindus that don't know him? Then that's why we are preaching. Let them come and know him. But if you reject him, he will destroy you. That's the way it works. Jesus is not money you don't, you don't play with. He's not, you not keep on warning everybody. He's not this gentle Jesus in the rock in the cradle. If you rock him in the cradle again, let him not get angry with you. The Jesus we are dealing with is resurrected. And the last time we read from the book of Nahum, and you see his anger against his enemies. Don't joke with him. Is the, listen, what you write in Colossians chapter 1 here is the truth. It is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. When he said, no one can come to the Father except by me, he wasn't joking. Let me tell you the truth. Abraham needed to queue up. Abraham was waiting for him to be manifested. Adam patiently waited. David patiently waited. That's why the Bible said they rejoiced to see his day. They were patiently waiting. You hear about spirits in prison they had to go and preach to. They were patiently waiting. And not, look, this is not a joke. We're not trying to make it look like uh, anyone that works for you, try it. If you don't like oxygen, don't breathe it. If carbon monoxide works for you, try it. That's what you are just saying when you say that. Several times I, mean, I, I saw Oprah Winfrey do it. I saw different people do it to preachers in America. And I thank God for the ones that, the way they answered. They said, are you saying Jesus is the only way? If you ask me, I'll say, is it true? Listen. They don't equivocate on these things. He said, what about those that don't know him? Then maybe he will show them mercy if they never rejected him. But there's a difference between you never knew him and you rejected him. Rejection has no mercy. Ignorance gets mercy. But rejection, no. No. And I, le- I studied this more than 20 years ago. And I came to know it to be true. There's no true seeker of God that does not find Jesus. See, there is none. There is none. It is not possible for you to be a true seeker and Jesus will not reveal himself to you. It is not possible for you to be a true seeker and the Holy Spirit will not bring the revelation of Jesus to your house. It doesn't matter where you are. 
Being, being Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, he will bring it there. Being Mecca there, he will bring it there. Being the center of Buddhism or Hinduism, he will bring it there. Being a, what they call a monastery in Tibet, he will walk in there and reveal Jesus to you. That's just the way he walks. Anyone who has not been revealed to, he's not truly seeking. But I'm saying, as a matter of fact, this world didn't drop out of nothing. Somebody created it. According to the person, he said they tried to show you. I like the way he explained that. So they tried to show you, you know, like um, you see maybe one animal on the ground, then progression till it becomes a stupid monkey. Are you getting my point? A silly monkey. Then the monkey begins to straighten up bit by bit and it becomes a human being. So you see, see evolution. They subtly tell you that you can see the progression. He said, explain something. He said, listen, it's very simple. Take aeroplanes. You know what they call aeroplanes? Take the first aeroplane designed by the Wright brothers. They're all the ones that have been going on since, and they're all the way down to the modern plane. Do they all look similar? Okay, maybe that's... Okay, I'm not saying they're exactly the same, but you see, you can also see the progression. You see the way they changed slightly until they are now this modern plane from the first one that they built. So you can... Okay, can you see the progression if, if I was to put them here? What does that prove? Evolution? No. Designer. It means that whoever designed, they have the same mind. So that change... The, the fact that they are similar only shows to you that the designer, there's somebody behind who's following a particular pattern. It does not prove evolution. Because if you could use it for animals, they use it for planes also. Use it for computers. Say computer just grew out of nothing. Early computers to modern computers, you can see the change. So that's what they call evolution. Yes, there's evolution of computers. They teach it to secondary school children, even in university. Evolution of the computer. Is it not true? They teach it, yes. It's a subject. Open any, any uh, basic tech and uh, computer science textbook. You see it. Evolution of the computer. So it means there's nobody behind it. <laughs> Evolution is proof that somebody is behind it. It's not spontaneous. What I'm saying is this world didn't jump out of nothing. Somebody brought it to be. And the person reveals himself one day. He did. He revealed himself one day. We're talking about worship, remember? We're talking about what? Worship. Remember, worship is something we all do. You can't help it. You cannot help but worship. It is something that we all do. It was built into us. We discussed that last time. Who you worship is not what the issue is. What you worship is not what the issue is. You worship. If you were not worshiping, you are dead already. It's a matter of fact. Now, we said nature does not allow a vacuum. So if you don't want to worship, because we, started, we, we, we did for some time the series on no foreign gods. So we are saying you don't just cast out foreign gods. You replace with what? The true God. And that's what we're discussing. We must worship. We must worship actively. We must be deliberate in worshiping. And last time I began to explain who we worship. Listen, Christianity is not a religion of, good, of a good lifestyle. It's not a religion of righteousness. It's not a religion of how to pray and get results. Christianity is not knowing the techniques of the realm of the spirit. Christianity is about one person, a human being. That walks this earth. We discussed that last time. And his name is Christ Jesus. And we explained that except you mention that name, you have not yet worshipped him. I hope you're getting my point. The name must be mentioned. You don't shy away from it. Every time Paul is starting his letter, he always puts the name in there. You read through the New Testament, that's the name you hear all the time. The name is always there. The name must be mentioned. If you don't mention it, you are not worshipping him. If you mention any other person's name more frequently in your prayer than his name, you are not worshipping him. You are not worshipping him. 
His name must be on your lips. It must be there with you in prayer. It must be there in your life, in your conversations and everything. It's a sign that you are worshipping him. And he is to be worshipped. That is how the father has designed it. The father revealed the Godhead in the person of Christ Jesus. Which is why we read it from that um, uh, Psalm 2. When we read at the beginning. It was, you see, I have installed my king on Zion. That's what God said. I have installed my king. He said, when he brought his son into the world, he said, let all angels worship him. On this earth, you must worship the son. You see, there's no other way. If you're a true seeker, if you pray morning, afternoon, and night, under whichever religion, if you truly want to know God, an angel will appear to you and show you Jesus because no one approaches the Father except through him. There's no, listen, I, I started this in long ago and I realized, listen, there are many ways to the spiritual realm in this life. There are many. You can be an atheist, you will find it. You can be, you can follow Guru Maharaj. I don't know where that's going to lead you to anyway, but you're going to get somewhere. You can go and join the Brotherhood of Cross and Star. Where are they? Is it with you? They are headquarters. Calabar, you can join them. As soon as you get into the realm of that spirit, the realm of the spirit, and you say, please, which direction? How can I find God the Father? They will say, do you know the Son? If you don't, the person that loves you there will show you that's the direction of the Son. Usually they wake your boy, wake up, wake up, there's no need. Go back. The son has a church down the road. You'll go there to where two or three are gathered in his name. We have come again. Father, we, they will see two small boys, all right, <laughs> clapping and singing. And they'll say, go and listen to them. And the Holy Spirit will possess them and they will give you the word of God. I hope you're getting my point. That is the only way to the Father. There is no other way. There is no other way. You must know the Son. You must know the Son. You must know the Son. And what is true worship? Let's, go, let's continue to look at it. Worship is the true God. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to read from verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. That these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. I just want to complete reading this portion. What I want is just that verse. Let's just complete reading this portion. It says, so you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, let me just stop reading here. Like I said, what I really want there is that verse 4. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, let me remind us again of why he said this to them, that the Lord is one. The Lord our God is one God. You hear different ways yeah, that is explained. He said this to them because they were coming out of Egypt, where they had many gods. Just like you have in Africa here, there are many gods. Traditional African worship. A god controlling the weather, another one controlling the fertility of the soil, one controlling safety on, with metallic objects. You know, if you get my point, like in the West, they call him Ogun. There's, there are different kinds of gods that people worship. The god of thunder is the one that controls, like, it has something to do with, like, with the rain, as his name is like god of thunder, you know? Different things. But then he had to emphasize to them, your, 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 in your own case, understand that 
There are no different gods. There is just one God who created the heavens and the earth, and he controls everything. He controls fertility of the soil. He controls the weather. He controls safety. He controls life and death. It's just one God. Again, let me remind people, there's no other God like, okay, there's the good God and then there's the devil. Do you get my point? Devil is one fallen angel. One of the multitude of angels there. His power is not, he and God are not tussling. Let's see, we are going for um, a heavyweight boxing competition. Nothing like that. That's not what is going on. The Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is what? One. He's just one. And for that reason, in every aspect of our life, we try to please him and worship him. I've, I've explained this to us before. Why did God use all those plagues in Egypt? This is my understanding. He had to judge all the gods of Egypt that Israel understood and recognized. He had to judge all of them. And the first few plagues affected Israel. What's my understanding from that? Until they removed all the gods from their homes. You won't find that in um, um, Exodus. But if you go and read, I think, Ezekiel, he explained it. The reason why they took the first few plagues affected them was that they had not removed all those gods from their homes. So when they began, the gods were in the house of the Israelites. So along the line, they gathered themselves together and purged themselves of all those gods. The plagues subsequently did not get into their own quarters. It wasn't because God was mistaken, the first few plagues. It was because the gods were there. If they had retained the gods, God would have been judging. You know, I've said it before. If you worship other gods, the time of their judgment, they will perish. And anyone who's worshiping them will perish with them. You know, we have established that. You cannot, look, if you put the god in your pocket and God comes to judge it, the judgment will reach your pocket. Anywhere you keep those gods, the judgment will reach that place. So if you want not to be affected by the judgment of God against false gods, remove them out of your life. It's very crucial. You must purge them in every, you know, in, in every area, every detail out of your life. It's very crucial you understand that. Okay? So that's why God was emphasizing to them here. The Lord is one. Don't divide your life into bits. Your Christianity must affect every aspect of you. Don't divide your life into pieces. Your Christianity must affect every aspect of you. There is nothing like this is, this is real life. Let's leave church for now. Let's talk real life. That is unbelieving talk. There's, there's not one God you worship in church and another one by which you run your business on Monday. That is not Christianity. Every aspect of your life must be filled with one God. I hope you're getting my point. And we have established that his manifestation for us is Jesus Christ. So if you want to know God the Father, he said to Philip, I've been with you all this, while. why are you saying, show us the Father? Once you know Jesus, you know the Father. Once you know Jesus, you know the Father. So your aim should be to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the manifestation you see. He's been manifesting himself for a very long time. Moses met him. David met him. All those men, they met him. Who was I studying the other day? Which of these prophets? And I said, ah, this was Jesus talking to this prophet also. He's been coming like that until one day decided to wear flesh and go through everything we went through. And he was going for a particular purpose at that point in time. All right? But he's been there. Okay? And he's the one we look up to. He's the one we have been transformed into his image. Remember, we said, I have to go over this again. The concept that God created us to serve him, you know, it doesn't really tell the whole story. It doesn't. As if God was looking for worshippers. Let me create worshippers. He was worship hungry. That's the impression we have. So they say, oh, let's worship him as if, look, this is why we're created. 
He says, okay, worship him. If you don't worship him, now you are denying him of his food. You've heard me that lie before. Praise is the food of God. <laughs> praise is good on you. It's not his food. I don't know whether you get my point. It's you that need the praise, not him. When you praise God, it's you that's been blessed. It's not becoming more, more God than he was yesterday. Say today, I'm feeling so little as God. And the angel said, Lord, what shall we do? Call me praisers. <laughs> Call me pra- Let them praise me. And then you sit on his throne. And it's so small. The throne is so big. And it's so tiny on the throne. Praise me. Then they start praising him. He starts expanding. Then when he fills his throne, <laughs> and he fills the heavens, <laughs> say, yeah, no, don't try, don't chop. You know that kind of thing? No, it's not like that. It's not like that. One major reason why you must praise God is to drive other gods out of your life. Because if you don't praise him, you praise something else. And then when it comes to judge those gods, you get caught up in the judgment. Let's get that concept out of our lives, out of our heads. That's not how God is. Why do we worship him we've established before? It is because you become like whom you worship. And his aim from the beginning was so that we'll be exactly like him. He said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That was his aim. And one of the things that you must do to fulfill that, we said, we established it, that when he first formed the man, that was the case, that was the mold. And into that man, he was now going to form the image of himself. And we know the son is the image of whom? The invisible God. So we are going to become exactly like the son. That was the aim from the beginning. It was not an afterthought. Adam did not create this all of a sudden. Say, Adam, you spoiled the job. Let's not do another thing. Lie, lie. It is surprising if, if you did not know this before. Adam did not derail the plan of God at all. He couldn't. Listen to me. Whether Adam fell or not, Jesus will have come. Jesus is not an afterthought. I hope you are getting my point. We're never created to be the image of Adam. Adam was created to be the image of Christ. See, I've, I've explained it before. I'm just going about it because I want to correct some things. Okay? Listen. When God made Adam, I don't have any doubt in my mind about this. When he said, you know, I've heard people say that um, there's one Bible we have like that. It is, it's very, he's, the Bible is, the, the man who wrote the commentary on that Bible, he said he takes the scriptures literally. When I grew up and became a Bible teacher, I said, no, Oga, you take the scripture hyper-literal. You can take literal to an extent where God did not intend it. There are things in the Bible that are figurative. You know that. For example, Jesus said you swallow, you strain out a gnat, and do what? Swallow a camel. That tells you there are things in the scriptures that are figurative. Okay? So bear in mind. So the man in trying to say everything is literal. He said when the hand of God, it means that God has a hand like our own. So in my mind, as I said, that means God also doesn't see his back. <laughs> yeah? Because if we're in the image of God, can you see your back? Now, suddenly you think there's something wrong with that picture. Something's wrong with that picture. God doesn't see his back. How can he not see his back? So you can blindside him. It's not possible. He doesn't have a blind side. Please, I hope you're following my point here. So when we say that God made Adam, he made man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. You should understand that that physical image was not talking about the heavenly image of God. Now, this is my conviction. God saw what Jesus would look like. And he formed Adam to look like the flesh of Jesus that will come later. Listen, that, that was, that's God manifested in flesh. This form you have has to do with the existence of gravity. 
If there's no gravity, you can't be shaped like this. You don't know that? Okay, let me leave it there. But the point I'm making that you cannot dispute is that we're formed. You see, that image of Jesus was first before that of Adam. Adam was formed in that image. Now, this is what I'm trying to, this is what I'm going to. What God wanted from the beginning is that new man that we are becoming in Christ today. The process by which Adam gets there may have changed. But where God was going from the beginning is always where he was going. The coming of Jesus was not a rescue plan. The ha. Hmm. Do you know Jesus had to come and suffer now because of Adam? No. This is a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He was going to come. Why? What God wanted from the beginning. We've gone, we've gone over this again. I'm just trying to connect with what we're doing today. From the beginning, God wanted us to be like him. That was the plan from the beginning. What we see in Jesus is what he wants all of us to be like. That was the plan from the beginning. So we're not created so that God is hungry for worship. No. Worship is one method by which we become exactly what he made us to be. I hope you're getting my point. Let me tell you something about God. If you want to understand God, there are certain principles. Now, if you're going to understand doctrine in life, you must have the right heart. It's not the accuracy of letters that teaches you right doctrine. It's the accuracy of the heart. Right doctrine, you discern it because your heart is right. I hope you're getting my point. No, so it's important you have some, the right foundations in your heart. It's very, very important. Let me give you an example. Now, if you are covetous, if you love the world, if you are materialistic, every time you receive scripture, it's how to acquire material things, you'll be finding there. That you will find, and it's all over the place, and I'm going to talk about that today. It's all over, you will find it. You will find methods to multiply money. It's all over the scriptures. But the real issue is not the scriptures, it's your eyes. It's the way your, eye, your eyes are framed, you know? The way your heart is, because it is said, we don't see with our eyes, we see through our eyes. What is inside you is actually what is looking. Do you get my point here? So you start seeing, that's what you start seeing. It's what's inside your heart. If you like, I love one example my pastor gave those days. He said, if you're a thief, if you enter a place like this, you see opportunity for stealing everywhere. You see the computers are not attended to. You see people who kept their bags, you know. You, because you are not a thief, you have never noticed these things. You know how you know a place where there's no thief? Check out how they handle their phones. <laughs> if you get to my office, eh, people just plug phone on the wall. You look left, right, nobody. I said, that means there's no thief here. For years, I've not heard once that something got lost in that place. Not one day. People pack. The, in fact, you can find people's office keys. You know where they keep the office keys. You open the office, you know where to pick things. But nothing ever gets missing. Because nobody's there with the eyes of what? A thief. So what am I going to say? If we have the wrong heart, we'll start seeing stealing scripture. <laughs> scripture on how to steal from people. It's why you're a pastor. <laughs> and it's in the Bible. And you, people, I hope you're getting my point. Now, let me not <laughs> miss the point I'm trying to make. So it's important you understand certain fundamental concepts about yourself, but I won't talk about God now, okay? Now, when the Bible says, for you to understand God, bear one thing in mind. The Bible says God is love. Bear that thing in mind. Interpret every occurrence, every scripture with that principle. God is love. And Paul said, 
Love does not seek his own. So listen to me. God never, ever seeks his own. I learned that thing more than 30 years ago. When I'm reading scripture, if God says you will worship him, I know that he doesn't need the worship. I knew that long ago. If he said, let the people praise you, let the people praise, it means that he doesn't need the praise. Because being love, he never gives instructions for his own benefit. Never. There is not one instruction in the scriptures that's written so that God can benefit. Nothing. Not one. One man, you know, he said something. I heard him preach last year when I went to Sokoto. He said, God is so righteous. Hmm? That if you understand the righteousness of God, when he's killing you, you'll be telling him thank you. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That if you know how righteous he is, even if he were punishing you and you understood his righteousness, you will receive the judgment with appreciation for his goodness. Listen, I will say this, you surprise many people. God doesn't condemn anybody until he has made up his mind the person is irredeemable. Yes. He just said, this one, there's nothing you can do. You can disagree with him. You can intercede. though. He can listen to you. But you know, he's so righteous, he's so good. He will use every opportunity to save every person until the person rejects the salvation by himself. That's how good he is. What am I saying with all of this? Just to emphasize something to us again. When we worship God, it doesn't benefit him. Not in any way. Not in any way. If you do things that please him, it do, even that pleasure that he has, is just because he takes pleasure in your blessing. There is no instruction he has ever given. Because let me say something to you about God. He's so great, it is not possible to be greater. To be greater than he is right now does not exist as a possibility. So there is nothing you can do to benefit him. That's why he said at the time, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. That's why I always say people say that I praise the food of God. He said, no, 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 forget it. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Listen, do you know? If, if praise was so necessary for him, he would praise himself. I'm not kidding about that. He will, he will shout his own praise. It will be echoing the universe and he will be hearing it. That's how great he is. This will amaze people when if I say this way. You know, he doesn't need anybody. Need. He's, got, he's self-sufficient. Really. He's so abundant in sufficiency. Let me explain like this. He can divide himself into two and each one will still be complete. That's why he has, no pro, he has no problem trying to replicate himself in each one of us. And that's, what, that's the aim of worship. When we created to worship him, you can say it one way. But the main reason we created was to be like him. And why do we worship? It is simply because you become like what you worship. The process of becoming is worship. Every time you go to his presence and you bow down and you sing to him and you lift your hands and you worship him, you are more like God than before you came. 
I don't know whether you get my point. You listen, if you take your scriptures and just read, just read like we read Colossians chapter one. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. You, you read and just say, Ha, Jesus. Indeed, you are great. That's two minutes. You are more like Jesus than you were two minutes ago. At the end of that, there is a substance of God that has left him without diminishing him, but has entered you. You know, God used to feel bad when people will leave him. He said, these false gods will furnish you no good. He said, they have eyes they they can't see. They have ears they can't hear. He said, these people's gods are lies. Their God is a lie. He said, those who worship them become like them. They are destroyed in the time of the judgment of those gods. (laughs) Do you know what this God does? Is to create and form people. Listen to this. Please hear me carefully. That can literally share in his glory. Yes. You can't take the glory of God and put it upon yourself. But he can say to you, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Is that not what he said? We are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. We are seated with him. That's, look, he takes you, he takes his glory. What did Jesus say? He said, glorify your son. That thing is only for Christ Jesus, I'm sorry to say. It's for anyone who will become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Listen, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I keep explaining this to people, you must understand. Jesus did miracles in different ways. There was an anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him. Most of the miracles you saw him do, it was like that. There are a few that were not like that. Just not too many. Okay? I don't think the changing of water to wine was in that category. That's my own thought. You can disagree with it and you'll be right. And that would mean I'm wrong, but that's what I think. <laughs> I don't think it was in that category. I believe turning water to wine was in the same category as raising of Lazarus. Now, raising of Lazarus had nothing to do with anointing. Nothing. When he raised his son of the widow of nine, it was an anointing. When he raised, raised Jairus' daughter, it was an anointing. When he raised Lazarus, it was a different matter. Raising of Lazarus had nothing to do with the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. No! When he raised Lazarus, it was to demonstrate his unity with God in sonship. That is why, how many other persons do you see him pray over? No, go and check it. Who else do you see him pray over? Be open. According to your faith, it's done unto you. That's anointing. But in case of Lazarus, he began to pray. The Bible says, go and read it. He began to groan within himself. He stirred himself up. As we were going towards that grave, he was praying. Then when he got there, he said, Father, I thank you because you have heard me. Haba. The reason of Lazarus was a different matter. Absolutely different. He said, this one, I am going to make a request of the Father. It's not about being anointed. He's saying, when you conform to this image, when you ask God for things that look absolutely impossible, he will still do it. You must understand. That was, that was what he was trying to establish. That listen, they say your friend Lazarus is sick. Relax. He said, look, I'm happy for you people that I wasn't there. 
the, the, the case of Lazarus was demonstrative in a unique manner. He wanted to show them something they had not seen. That was not the first person who was raised from the dead. He had been raised from the dead. But this one, Lazarus will come back as a simple request that the son is making of the father. It's a difficult one. You guys believe that his spirit, his spirit will hang around for, four, for three days. Okay, we are going to leave him there to the first day. When every Jew will have agreed that he's totally dead. And I'm just going to make a request of the father. It's not the father that I'm anointed. It's the fact that I'm a son of God. Listen to this. I'm sharing in the glory of the father. That's what I understand. That's how I, that was why you saw that drama around the reason of Lazarus. The Lord Jesus was making a point for us. What am I saying? Never forget it. Bear it in mind. Love does not seek his own. And God is... God is what? God is what? So anytime he's... If if God says, give me, just know, giving him will bless me. If God says, oh yeah, sacrifice Isaac, know that the sacrifice of Isaac is not for his good. It's for your good. It's for Isaac's good. If he says, worship me, just know that that worship is good for the worshiper. If he says, praise me, no praise is good for the praiser. He never benefits personally. And let's look at that our Jesus again. Philippians chapter 3. Sorry, chapter 2. Well, you don't have to open to it. I just want to quickly refer to something there. Notice what it says from verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now listen to me. I don't think he was talking about rank in life here. What he meant, well, this is what I think. In fact, the next line, in fact, it's not just my thoughts. It's already there. Next line. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. What do I trying to say? The, the interest of other people should be more important to you than your own interest. That's what I was saying. It was not that they said that, like, uh, uh, no, the person is level five. Uh, let me just think that I'm level four. No, that's not the point. The point is that if he's hungry, and I'm hungry, it should be more important to you that he's fed than you are fed. Do you get the concept? All right? Bear this in mind. Now, I wanted to now show us how it worked. He said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But what did he do? He emptied himself, taking the bond of a bond, the form of a bond servant, being made in likeness, in the likeness of men. He said, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those which are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me ask you a simple question. This name, is it higher than the name of the Father? No, there's no catch to it. There's no catch to it. Answer me. You don't sound sure. You rather nod your... Okay. It's not higher than the name of the Father. True or false? It's not higher. It's not higher. It couldn't possibly be higher. So if he had equality with God, existed in the form of God, 
Then God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name. What has he gained? It's a simple question. Nothing. 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 So, that tells us something. He did not do what he did for what he would gain. You are getting it. He didn't. He did not do what he did for what he would gain. He couldn't possibly gain anything more than what he had already. I said earlier, get certain concepts in mind right. Understanding God and scripture, (laughs) you will see from a different light. If you understand that God is love, he never does anything for himself. You understand this. So by the time he humbled himself as a servant, being found in the form of a servant of a mere man, therefore God highly exalted him after uh, uh, the obedience of death. He now gave him a name that's above every other name. Look closely. So, So, sir, what have you gained? The answer again is what? Nothing, personally. But what did he really gain? Did he gain? Yes, he did. Because this was a name he could share with you and share with me. And as soon as he got the name, he handed it to the church. That's why the Bible makes it clear he's head of the body. There's a reason why that statement was important for Paul to make. <laughs> Listen, anytime you see the body trampled down, having all these problems, just know there is something wrong they are doing that's making that name ineffective in their use. As I keep on saying, instead of shouting uh, Boko Haram, shouting uh, this one, headman, go and pray, say, Lord, what is going on? We are supposed to be the body of Christ with the name that is above every other name. When he got that name, people, it was for Gidash. He labored hard to give it out. God never, never does anything for his own good. Jesus never, ever does anything for his own good. So when he went through all of that, it was so that he could get a name that he could give to his people and then he would go back to heaven. That was what it was all about because existing in the form of God makes it difficult for people on the earth to use that power. But he had to be conformed to their own flesh, go through their temptation, overcome the temptations, please God in the flesh, then die for their sake, then God now elevated him for that reason because when he died, they died with him. So when he was elevated, as far as Jesus was concerned, I'm carrying everybody up with me. We now have a duty individually to make sure we are conformed to his image so that what he, what he suffered for, we cannot take advantage of it. Listen, that's what Jesus is about to Please, try and follow what I'm going to say. So, now, I just want to explain that concept. Okay? Let me get back to what I was narrating earlier. So, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It now says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love this Lord with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Remember, we said worship is the way by which you become. When you worship the Son, you become like Him. Everything he labored for, it is now credited to your account. The more of Christ you find in yourself, the more of his authority you can wield on the earth. Please go and listen to our series, Christ's Message to the Churches, in which we went through the, seven, um, the issue of the seven churches. Okay? Now you see something there. He keeps on saying, to him who overcomes, I will give a stone 
that has a name on it, which nobody knows apart, the one, apart from the one that has it. In that series, I explained the meaning of that name. It's not that, oh, God now has a pet name for you. There's a name God calls me, I won't tell you. It's just between me and the Father alone. You call me Banky. He doesn't call me Banky. It's a name he calls me. You know, God actually has a name for people. Yeah, he does. Solomon was called what? Jedidiah. Yes, he has names for people. Jesus will look and say, Simon Barjona. Now your name is Peter. He gives names to people. What is your name? Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name for now will be what? Israel. Yeah, he, he actually has names. And there are times, there are names he calls you. And maybe he's the only one that calls you by that name. Okay, I'm not saying I have one that I know. I probably have it. I don't know it. Are you getting my point? <laughs> no, so we tend to read that into it. That was not actually what he was saying. That's not, I'm not saying that's not possible. But when he was talking about that in Revelation, anytime he talks about name, all right? So at the mention of the name of Jesus, what happens? Every name bows. So when he says, I will give him a name, it means I will give him a particular rank, authority in the realm of the spirit, that when they mention his name, knees bow. Do you get my point? Let me give you an example now. Now, sometimes, maybe in the realm of the business, all right, economics, somebody overcomes, and then God gives him a name, all right, above every other name in that area. <laughs> so that fellow, because of that name, he can command things. He can just say, this price of diesel is, is too high. Now, there are 200 million other Nigerians using the diesel. He's the only one that can set the price, spiritually speaking. So Jesus will say, it's too high. He said, yes, I've checked it. The way the industries are going, if we have to be able to export and be competitive, this should be more than 515. Jesus says, no problem. Watch over the next six weeks. Events will arrange globally to crash the price of diesel locally to 550. He has a name. He has a name. And it's at a cost, though. It's not that I spoke too many tongues until they gave me the name. No. He's tested. He's proven. He made mistakes. He repented. Doesn't mean he has been perfect all his life. They gave him corrections, he heard it. He read the letters. He said, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to all the churches. So he reads all the seven letters and corrects his ways. Drives out Jezebel from his life. So, what, what is all this doctrine of the localitans? No, I can't tolerate it anymore. Out of here. Purges himself. In that process, of course, oh, I forgot. Satan comes with test, t- testing for seven days. And he's faithful even when he was faced with death. At the end of the day, God gives him a name that only him knows. That he's the only one that knows who's wielding this authority. Those of you are there writing on Twitter, on Facebook, in Vanguard, this day, protesting. He sits in his house and watches everything that's going on. And says, Lord, ah, this is not good. Just like God said with Amos. God saw, Amos saw God preparing a locust, a swarm of locusts. Ah, Amos said, no. Lord, how can Israel survive? She's so small. So God said, Amos, you don't like it. Amos said, I don't like it. Okay, it will not be. That was the end of it. They didn't have Israel as Johnny Hans. We rebuke locusts. One man looks at the locusts and said, Lord, Israel will not survive. So God said, so what do you think? He said, please. He said, this will not be. Let's go for another thing. And he looked and said, oh, Lord, hey, you want to kill everybody? He said, you don't want them to die? He said, Lord, I know they have sinned, but don't kill everybody yet. So what are you saying? Don't do that. Say, okay, it will not be. That's what it means to have a name. That is what it means to have what? A name. Listen, believers, eh, in this life as we are pursuing, and listen, pursuit is part of life. You must pursue something. 
But what are you pursuing is what the issue is. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. What am I going to say? Pursue so that you will get your name. It's so important. It comes with sacrifice. When I say sacrifice now, you de- everybody is pursuing something. You, you say, no, I'm not pursuing it. God will strip you of things. The closer you walk with God, the less you have things to rely on around you. I hope you're getting my point. It's so important we, we, we get this point. It's so crucial. That's what you should pursue. What was Paul looking for? He said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I'm not trying to be rich in life. I just want to let it be that I experienced the power of his resurrection. That is more valuable to me than Elon Musk's $200 billion. He said, I'm willing to count every other thing as loss. I'm willing to forgo every other thing so that I can know him and the power of his resurrection. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. No, that's the pursuit that Christians must have. I'll get to something in a moment. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get there. We said we must worship, remember? If we are not worshipping the true God, we are worshipping a false one. It's automatic. If you are not worshipping the true God, you are worshipping the false one. Along the line, we talked about Mammon being the greatest, in quotes, of the false gods. And one reason is because it's the most subtle. It is one God that comes to church regularly. You see what I mean in a moment? <laughs> That's a lot of Christians worship it. Let's take ministry as an example. For many people, ministry is not about propagating the word of God. It's about personal success. And that's worship of mammon. You see the man sweating day and night, preaching, doing evangelism, programs, running up and down. It's on radio, it's on television, it's this and that, it's on the internet, it's on everything, Facebook, Twitter. <laughs> you think he's serving God. Which is the last day? Jesus said, I don't know him. Why? The whole thing for him was about material success. I ride donkeys when I see, even if it's a donkey, I will ride. That's what Jesus does sometimes. What does it mean that I want to talk to people? Hey, this guy is available. Put a word in his mouth. So he accidentally blesses people. If you know, I hope you're getting my point. <laughs> because when they came to him, he said, Ah, we cast out demons in your name. Ah, it's my name that was casting out the demons, not you. So even though the heart was not right, but the name was uttered, eh, the Holy Spirit, remember we said it last time, when the Holy Spirit sees the name of Jesus, it's like a catalyst. It works on that substrate. So many times we get results. But the person mentioning the name, the heart is not right. That's mammon. Ministry success sometimes may be nothing but mammon that we are pursuing. Yes. Many people come, nah, nah, that, that's where I want to connect from, okay? Now, worshipping must be with our whole heart. Completely. 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 Now, I want to talk about scripture. You see what I'm saying? Because I started all of this by trying to explain the person of Jesus Christ being the center of everything. And I want to tell Christians again, please. You must follow that Jesus with all your heart. With all your soul. With all your might. You must. And be careful not to deviate from following by even one degree. Because once you deviate from following by one degree... One degree over a long period of time can become 100 kilometers. 
So where Jesus is, is far, far away. You, only, you are following, you just shifted by one degree. My teaching today is on this following with all your heart. This Jesus we have spoken about. With all your soul. With all your might. I said something last time. Please, Jesus does not make deals. I need to say that again. He doesn't make deals. It is not, I will save you, you will heal me. Jesus said, I will, you will save me, I will kill you. I don't make deals with anybody. And I said the last time, I think people should hear me. You are not worth making deals with. You brought nothing to the table. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You have brought nothing to the table. Nothing. What are we negotiating? I wouldn't buy you for a cent. So when you show up, please, I make all the rules. I'm sorry, let me say it like this. Because many of us who feel so cool, God so loved. Listen, the Bible never said God so loved the world. He said God does love the world. That word so has been misinterpreted. Go and read, I think, God's word translation. He said this was how God showed his love for the world. That so is a matter of procedure, not intensity. You know, God so loved the world. He so, no! He was going to kill everybody. But this was how he showed his concern for their perishing state. That is what God's love is. It's not emotional. It's not romantic. It's factual. It's logical. Why should they perish when we can redeem them? So how do we do it? We will give, we will give our only begotten son. Now what I'm going to emphasize here is this. Hmm? You brought nothing to the table. He doesn't do deals. Have you ever seen a slave for sale? From the story of slavery you have read, who's negotiating with the buyer? Ha! Let's get this clear. So when you want to come to Jesus, you know, oh, to Jesus, I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. What's the next line? I surrender all. I surrender all. All to him, my blessed Savior, I surrender. I think that song is very inspired. <laughs> In fact, now that I'm singing it, it's now I'm understanding it more than before. <laughs> There's no deal in it. It is I carry everything and I do what? I surrender. It's not like God, when I follow you, you will bless me. It's not a deal. Anyone who follows him is blessed already. It's not a deal. I've heard Christians say that I made a deal with God. Please stop saying it has no meaning. I made a covenant. You cannot make a covenant when you don't own yourself. How can I make a covenant? Are you smoking something? You don't own yourself. Listen, just by the way, if you want to make an agreement with anybody who's under authority, don't waste your time. <laughs> I don't know whether I get my point. Let me give an example now. <laughs> so imagine now you are, you, are, you are the head of a coven. <laughs> you now come and invite my wife or my daughter or any of my children 
to your coven. And they come and drink the blood and they cut themselves. You are wasting your time. The day I, I hear of it, I break it. They can't fulfill the obligation. The scripture I'm giving you, don't have time to discuss it. So if my wife goes to the joint shrine behind my back, don't worry. Don't think you have gotten her. You haven't until I hear of it. It's only when I hear of it and I don't see anything that is established. The moment I hear of it, I say, ah. Say, Yo, your wife is not one of us. And I don't want to do anything. I break it in the name of Jesus. No, I just say, no. Say, my wife is not one of you. Automatically, one angel will cut whatever. They just tear it apart. So you, you, you join cult. And you are one of my children. I will end it. Do you understand my point? I will bring. <laughs> now, it's scripture. It's called being under what? Authority. The only way my wife can be a witch is if she, she joined that witchcraft before I married her. Are you getting my point? And then I married a witch. So I can't talk again. But if you join the coven after I don't marry you, lie, lie, could it work? It cannot work. The Bible says clearly, if she makes a covenant, from the time I hear it, I have 24 hours to annul it. She can't even make a pledge in the church. You know, some women drive to the church, <laughs> they sow their car. The husband will come, a pastor give me the car, and he has the right. The other one just say, uh, say, Pastor, please, don't be angry. <laughs> we did not sue the car. She is confused. Give me the car. <laughs> she hasn't broken anything. The husband annulled it in the same manner. When you give your life to Christ, the hair on your head belongs to him. The toenails you have belong to him. You cannot make any agreement. You obey instructions. You don't enter into covenant. I hear Christians say I made a covenant. You can't. There's only one covenant a Christian can make in that regard. And you have made it when you gave your life to Christ. Yes, that's a covenant. Please, let me say, Jesus doesn't make deals. If you have a billion dollars and it collects it and doesn't give you anything back, you are not supposed to complain. You will say, Lord, it was a privilege giving you a billion dollars. What more can I give? Do you want my right kidney? Or both of them? Or should I join in, jump into the furnace as a whole burnt offering? You don't make deals with the Lord. You receive instructions from his mouth. You report in the morning, what would these servants do today? And you don't make any demands based on what you did. Bear that in mind. It's so important we get this thing. A lot of people get confused. You hear people say things like, I gave God my land. Why am I sick? You are sick because you're stupid. I hope I'm clear. So what do you mean I'm stupid? You give God land and you thought that should buy you health. Jesus died on the cross. It was not enough to buy you health. It's a plot of land in Enugu. That will not buy you health. What is wrong with you? If you want to make any demand, make a demand based on what he did on the cross. There is no sacrifice you can give now that can compare with the tiniest drop of blood 
that came out of those veins. So, let's leave it there. I hope you're getting my point. Just leave it there. You have been bought. You are owned by him. 100%. He died for all. So that those who live would no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let us get that clear. Serving Christ is what they call abandonment. It's called total surrender. You surrender all to him. He doesn't owe you anything back because of what you surrendered. What he lives by, what you are supposed to live by are the things he promised. And the promises are based upon his will. I don't know whether you're getting my point. They're not based upon your sacrifice. They are based upon what? His will. He determined to bless you when you were not even there. I don't know. I just wanted to drop that one for people. So when we are following the Lord Jesus Christ, we're following with all our heart. We have one sole desire. is to be conformed to his image. We have one sole desire. is to be pleasing to him in every single thing that we do. We have one sole desire. All of this is one. is to know him. To become personally acquainted with his person. And through him to know God the Father. See, that is the beginning of our desire. That is the end of it. We are not allowed to desire anything that's not, that doesn't fall under this category. You should actually pray, Lord, if we're marrying, we're getting married, please you, like me, getting married, will it be pleasing to you? There are times you say, he says no. You say, ah, Pastor Mangi, when did you say that? Did you see Paul marry anybody? Sure, you know, it's not every right you have as a Christian that you claim in the service of God. As good, see, I use marriage as an example because it's a very good thing. But let's not even be automatic about it. Let's pray. Lord, please. The primary thing is to serve you, to be pleasing to you, to walk in your will and all of that. Now, according to the promise I've seen in scripture, this. Just to confirm, is it good for me in this life, serving you? And most of the times, listen, don't be afraid. <laughs> most of the times, he will say yes. If I don't have to hear yes, it's automatically a yes once it has been promised until you get a no. I hope you get my point. Let me not talk about the will of God now. I don't want to get caught in that. But I just want to emphasize one point here. That it is not everything. That even though he promised you, just grab. Sometimes, what is most important to you is his will. Let me give an example. Let's, take about, let's talk about principles. Paul, he taught it clearly. There's a right principle. The man that is ministering should have a wife. And Paul had one. Not, not Paul, sorry. Peter had one. And from the testimony of Paul, we know most of the other apostles, they had but one thing was unique with Paul. Neither he nor those who followed him had. Oh, you think he was the only one? Where did you see him tell Timothy, greet your wife? Paul could not work with those who were encumbered with a family. Generally speaking. Not all of them, I mean, 100%. But those who followed him about. Did you Priscilla and Aquila will not follow him about. Those men, Titus, Timothy, follow him up and down. <laughs> I don't think. They couldn't chase any woman while Paul was there. 
Maybe they waited for him to, to die first. <laughs> this man wanted to kill somebody. <laughs> no, go and check. Did you see the right to Titus? No. We know those guys were single from, this, from the instructions they gave them. He didn't admonish them to get married. But he admonished them to admonish other people to get married. Do you get my point? He didn't have a problem with marriage. But you are working with me. Bros, we don't have the time. And he said it clearly. We have a right, but we did not use the right. It was voluntary. Then he said another thing. That anyone who is ministering must be supported by the people he's ministering to. Then he said, did we do that? No. Did Peter do it? Yes. Did James do it? Yes. John and Co. Yes. He said, but what about us? He said, no. I get to a place. I start a tent making business. I, teach, I taught to Timothy. So by the time he comes, he, ha- he takes over the business. I go and start teaching. Why? He said, well, if I preach, all right, there's no credit. He said, necessity is laid upon me. It's compulsory. I must preach. He said, but there are things I do. I go beyond the normal call of duty for my life. And one of them is that when I get to this, amongst the Gentiles, actually the primary issue, okay, he wanted to break a particular you know, mindset. I, I offered the gospel without the people having to support me in return. And but in the course of teaching, some people learned that it was not the right thing. The Philippians. And they were the only ones that really learned it. And he blessed them for it. Even though he didn't make the demand. I hope you're getting my point. When he found some people who understood it, he blessed them for it. But the point I'm making is that, you see, it was a decision he made by himself. He went beyond the normal. Even though he said, it was my right. But I decided to forego it because I noticed that from the field, in the field that God has given me, it makes it easier for us to introduce the gospel. It makes it easier for people to accept our teaching, our instruction. So I decided that I would not put anything as an obstruction, including my rights, when it comes to delivering my assignment. So people actually forgive, forgo their prom- promise that God gave them. I say, Lord, don't bother fulfilling this one yet. We have things to do. So what am I going to say? The striving each time was to be found pleasing to him. Please, I hope you are getting my point. That is for every, that's true worship. We are going to read it in the moment if we get there, Romans chapter 12. It said, present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your true service of worship. What you want is that in everything you do, David said, even the words that you utter and the thoughts you think, they must be acceptable in his sight. That was what he meant when he said, you follow the Lord with all your heart. So the primary assignment, the primary desire for the believer is to be conformed to this image of Christ Jesus. The primary desire of the believer is to please him in everything, including in thought. Just so that you'll understand it. I hope you know Jesus hears your thoughts clearly. So please think properly. Think righteous thoughts. 
Now, the pursuit of all these things is what I'm talking about. So you see, that one pursues these things deliberately. Now, that's the next point I want to make. It's deliberate pursuit. If you don't pursue this, you pursue other things. You will. I have found out that life doesn't have space for too many things. Usually, it's just one or two things you can pick at a time and put your energy into. So what you need is to know the right things to put your energy into. And that's what I'm teaching believers. With all your might. So you get up every day. And another thing, he said, come you children. David was saying, listen to me. I will do what? I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, this is the point. It doesn't come naturally. It has to be taught. You have to go out of your way to go and learn it. You know, this, um, over the last few days, I saw this book again. I've talked about it many times. Business by the book. So I took the book and just kept, let me just read it again. I've read it before, maybe up to twice. So let me just read it again, okay? Now, I'm not a businessman in that regard, but as a business person, take a book like that. No matter how well you have done in business, read it again. There are people in the scriptures who were serving God in the days of Josiah. They had a custom of the priests. They had never read the, 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 the instructions of Moses. And they had priests. They were, they were priests walking in the temple. They had never read the instructions of Moses. So every child of God, therefore, you get up, go and let's say, wait, wait, wait. The way I have been doing this business, is it really okay with the Lord? Take the book, a book like that as an example, and read. What they are doing Christian business seminar, you are good. No, now listen to this, listen to this. Listen to this, and then that will not help me connect the thing I've been trying to say. I am not saying go to the seminar to go and learn how to increase your profit. I didn't say go to the seminar to go and learn how to grow your business. What did I say? Go there and go and learn whether what you are doing is pleasing to the Lord. I need to really drop this one for us. There is no method for getting results in this life. There is none. See, anybody writing to you that he knows it, the person is lying to you. Now, not because he's wicked, but because he's deceived. Some are lying anyway. Some are outright liars. They just write anything that will sell, that will increase the followership on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is they are following people these days. But many don't even know that. They don't know what they're saying. Let me tell you the truth. Everything in this life is a gift. Please see what I said. If Dangote is doing a seminar tomorrow on how to be a billionaire, don't waste your time going. If your aim is, let me go and learn how to be a billionaire, it's a waste of your time. You're wasting your time. You can go to go and hear a story. You know what they call story? I mean, because you, know, you, know, you hear me quote stories a lot of times. This man said, hey, go there, you say, go and hear your story. What does Dangote want to tell us about his experience? I just go and hear it. But he's like, how? I'm going to give you 10 steps. But then you're done with these 10 steps. You two are going to be one of the richest black people in the world. I say, Ogaliko, stop wasting my time. Where are you going? I want to go and sleep. Sleeping is more profitable than this, not rubbish. But you know one thing I can assure you? Aliko Dangote would never even say that. Did you ever hear Bill Gates say that? Tell me one rich man that teaches that rubbish. It's all these motivational speakers who don't have anything. They are the ones trying to tell everybody how to do it. You know, I saw one joke on Twitter one day. I laughed. There are very few jokes that have been that, I mean, that, that funny. The guy said, um, 
I started my business at the age of 12. By 22 or by 21, I was a billionaire. And this and he said, what am I? One guy said, you're a motivational speaker. <laughs> no, forget. The, the people that really know, eh? they know they don't know. Did you hear what I said? Those that really know, they know they don't know. So they're not, they're not going to deceive you. They can, tell you their, they, they can tell you their life story. And if you have spiritual insight, you need that. You follow the story and you can see the hand of God here, there, here, there, here, there. Sometimes they don't even know it. There are things they did. They didn't count it as anything. So, they will not even ascribe anything to it. It's you that have spiritual insight will say, wait, because of this thing that you did, therefore God highly exalted you. And when he did it, he did not know. And the one that God will use to exalt you, you also will not know. Because once you are thinking of exaltation, it has been disqualified. Did you hear what I said? Once that decision is made because of exaltation, it has been disqualified as a reason for exaltation. The ones that God will actually use as a reason, you will not even connect it with exaltation. Listen, life is a gift. God gives things to people. And that's why I encourage Christians. If you want gifts, what do you do? Ask. If you want gifts from the Lord, ask him for it. That's what Jesus told us. He said, you, human beings, evil people, you know how to give good gifts to your children. You know how to give your children good gifts. He said, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, that is the manifestation of the power of God, to those who ask him? These days, I'm not afraid anymore. I can ask the Lord for anything. I told you, listen, listen. This is not supposed to be a threat. I'm not trying to uh, warm you ahead so that when it finally happens. But that's part of it. It will happen if necessary. I'm not promising it will. I know the cost of private planes, both of buying and of maintaining them. But it doesn't make me feel anything. If I need one, I will ask the Lord for it. Because bank, where is the money? Well, didn't you hear what I said? I said I will ask the Lord for it. It's very expensive. You're talking about millions of dollars just to acquire. And Nigeria will make it hard for you. That is landing charge, takeoff charge. That's not talking about paying the pilots. Maintenance, haba. You know what they call sea check? <laughs> this commercial jets, sea check is $20 million. Abi. Is it $10 million? $20 million. When they say that Eric sent a plane for sea check, it's $20 million they are going to pay. That's the price of buying a private jet. <laughs> <laughs> we're just I like to educate people see check the pieces the plane completely especially the engine to bits and rebuilds again from the scratch replacing necessary parts that's why it's so expensive that's why planes hardly drop out of the sky you know, your car is always breaking down at um, Oji River <laughs> planes cannot break they can't break down in cloud seven <laughs> Now, so I know running these things can be very expensive. But you know what? It doesn't bother me anymore. I have realized that God does what? He gives gifts. Take your eyes off the physical. Start thinking the realm of the spirit. You will know that God gives gifts. And he can give anybody anything. Go and read the prayer of Jabez again. It's a very, very illustrative prayer in the scriptures. If you feel called to become a governor, a president, senator... Don't say, these pity people, they will not elect anybody. 
Get on your knees and say, God, is this where we are going? Make me what you have created me to be. We arrange people to come and carry you. <laughs> did you hear how much APC say their form is? <laughs> if God didn't call you. <laughs> 100 million naira to buy form. How much be jam for? <laughs> Millionaire. Anyway, just go and join Green Party. Or the <laughs> just, just find another party. Don't go near ABC. <laughs> My father in heaven. Ah! Man, if you go near there, you really want to chill with the big boys, man. That's the only way. The Lord is good. But you know what? If God wants to make you president on the platform of APC, people will come and buy the form and give to you. Is the way. Go and read it. David did not make himself king in Israel. People gathered to make him king. So don't be afraid to ask the Lord for anything. The only thing you need is a bit of what? Patience. You ask today, doesn't mean God must do it in the evening. You know the funny thing about the Lord? You can ask in the morning, does it by afternoon? No, no you, you ask and say, Lord, in your mind, within the next one month, I will need it. You, you get up from praying by 7.30, you go out by 2.30. It has been concluded. And you start pinching yourself that have you woken up from that dream? When the Lord turned again the answers to our prayer, it was as if what? A dream. It happens. God does that. And let us say that. Just ask God for anything. What he does for you, all right, as your father, that sometimes you ask him for things. He's not offended. Now, first, one thing, if you want him to be unhappy, let, just go and say that, Lord, you need to do this. So the Lord says, why? You say, Andrew has already done his own. Once you say that, prayer session canceled. That competitive spirit, he doesn't accept it. So, you know, in this, community, this country where if you don't do this now, they won't respect you. Cancelled. You have to come with a pure heart, right motives. And some of those right motives can be as simple as, and I do that with the Lord. Ah, you're my father now, I just want chop life for your neck. Yes, I do that. I'm not joking about it. Say, Lord, ah, what do I have a rich father for? Person needs to chop life now. Just chop life. Like, that's the beginning of it. That's the, I have no other reason then I want to flinch. And flinching is the will of God. As long as you're not trying to oppress somebody else, you don't want to go and say, mm, I, no. Once you're, one toy is not part of your idea. Okay, let me give you an example now. Assuming you want a television that's like 65 inch, 72 inch. Okay? I hope you know it's actually not very necessary, especially, especially in that your small room. <laughs> I hope you know. <laughs> so, but for certain, we just say, Lord. So, the Lord said, ah, 75 inch, you won't be able to focus on it. Too. Okay, make it um, 50, 50, 60, 59, 60. God said, no problem. Now, it's expensive by your standard, your level. Then the Lord says, where do you want to keep it? You will get it quicker. If you say, in my bedroom. He said, Pastor, what do you say, in my bedroom? Because I'm not trying to show up to anybody. I want to just enjoy my big screen. Now, he doesn't have a problem with you putting in the sitting room. I want you to understand what I'm going to say. But if he's like, ah, I put in my sitting room now so that everybody would know. Once you do, everybody would know. Cancelled. That thing is cancelled. But the thing just say, Lord, ah, what is it? It can be in that sitting room. Say, ah, my friends and I you know we like to use football to cool down like once a month. And they gather here. A big screen is wonderful for watching football. 
as silly as it sounds, you'll be shocked. A TV going for 400,000 naira that you actually can't afford. One day somebody will just tell you that your bank will just say you left 10,000 naira for more than one month. You qualify for a draw. You know there are banks that do so. Yeah, God does things like that. Next thing, mom, you have won a 62-inch TV. That's one way. And that way is that a friend of yours is traveling home, says, clean up his goods. He said, buy this one. He said, I don't have the money. He said, in his heart, you buy it. He said, I don't have, how much do you have? He said, all I have is 100,000. I'll pay it five times. <laughs> no, you'll be sure the guy will say, bring it. He doesn't need the money. He just wants to say that you bought it. God works in strange ways. I just use that as an example that ask God for anything. You know, I've been telling people, ask. Don't be running up and down because of things. God can bring the things to you. He can bring the things to you. Stop running up and down because of things. I heard that if I go abroad now, I'll be able to work for this and I'll get this amount of money. If that's what you need, please get on your knees at the corner of that your bed, ask for that thing and leave it there. God will bring abroad to you. Please, this ah, I, I want Christians to understand that. Then. Just uh, you know, just ask, ask, and leave it. Ask and leave it. Now, I went into that trying to get something out, all right, of the way. Then let's get now get to the meantime. I'm trying to say, say this is your Bible, because it's a device. But that's my Bible. You get my point. The whole scriptures. There's something that Jesus said, and this I want you to understand this very, very carefully. This is one idol we must remove and focus on the true God. You know these scriptures, they have everything inside. I said earlier, your aim is I want to be pleasing to him. If I'm reading my Bible, it is how am I more pleasing to him? How do I discover his will for my life? And most importantly, how do I see Jesus? That's the most. That, that's the primary thing, seeing Jesus clearly. Now, however, this is what a lot of us do, and it's very tempting. This scripture has a lot of principles. He has a lot of precepts. Do you know it has principles of church growth? I hope you know it's there. How you can grow a church? So sometimes we'll go to the scriptures, and these are the things we are looking for. We find. Now, I'm going to give some funny examples. We go to the Bible to go and find principles of a happy marriage. Principles against domestic violence. Which is a trending topic in Christian churches now. And Satan has used it to ruin a lot of homes. I hope you know that. The trending thing is that walk out of an abusive marriage. Don't be stupid. Repair the abuse. Where are you walking to? You know, that's the trending thing now. Every, you have the boldness to walk out of an abusive marriage. Nonsense. Please don't believe them. Ask yourself, why is there abuse? What can we use to stop it? What is the role of prayer and fasting? How do we cast out the demons? Just pack your bag. Just, somebody who married your husband just now. Eh? That's where you know, say, oh boy. Those who counseled you, we care people one by one. They work out them regularly. Because you now see that the man has become calm because you did not know how to pray. The next wife knows how to pray. Now reaped what she, she did not sow. Look at you. 
That's how people just fall for Satan. For Satan right now, Satan is ruining homes everywhere. Because I'm not domestic violence. Who said you should agree for domestic violence? Go for counseling. Go for prayer. Go for fasting. Go for scripture. I hope you're getting my point. Stop walking out recklessly. That's the part of my message, yo. So there is solution to all this in scripture. Everyone. But this is a great mistake we make as Christians. We drop ourselves to the second level of divine blessings. Jesus said, you said the scriptures. Why? Because you think. Now, when he uses the word you think, what does that tell you? It's an error. He said, you think that in them you will have life. You think in them you will find the principles for growing your business. You think in them you will find the the principles for having a happy marriage. You think in them you will find the principles of raising children. You think in them you have the principles for eating well. You think in them you have principles for a long life. He said, no, these are wrong reasons to read the scriptures. I'm talking about worship. He said, what do you find in the scriptures? The testimony about me. He said, all the scriptures are about is me. So anytime, this is true worship we are describing. Anytime you pick the scriptures, look for Jesus in it. Do you know one man in the Bible who did not marry, at least that we know, was Paul. And yet, he taught one of the deepest revelations about marriage in the Bible. I hope you are aware of that. But you know what he said? He said, this is a mystery. I speak about what? Christ and the church. Paul did not know about marriage as much as he knew about Christ and the church. And if you understand Christ and the church, you'll be a good husband. If you understand Christ and the church, you'll be a fantastic wife. If you understand Christ, the church, and the church, you'll be a wonderful son, a wonderful daughter in the house. If you understand Christ and the church, you'll be a wonderful father. But if you go looking for how to be a wonderful husband, you will not even get 10% of the blessing inside. What am I saying? Worship. Real worship is aggressively pursuing the knowledge of Jesus. I'm going to end it there for today. What is real worship? Aggressively pursuing the knowledge of Jesus. That's real worship. That is real worship. It's not reading the Bible so I can multiply my business. Like I said, if they're doing a seminar, go there to go and learn what is pleasing to the Father. Go there to go and learn, not what brings results. Do you know you can you can start a business is doing well? You go and pray. You finish praying, you go for one of those seminars. Then you come back from the seminar and then you execute all the things you were taught and your business goes down and it closes. Do you know it's possible? Does it mean the word of God, therefore, is bad? No. The word of God just killed for you what God did not want sustained in your life. All the while you have been struggling. Then you brought in the word, the word killed it. And it took away what? The first. And it begins to establish the second. Sometimes what has been keeping your business open for the last few years is a principle that displeases God. Maybe you have been getting your customers in a way God disapproves of. You have been sustaining things in the way he disapproves of. And the day you stop that, he will not supernaturally sustain it. He just say, let it, let it go down. It's called death. 
and then the grain of wheat, while it is living, it abides alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much fruit. After it has died, then God opens another thing, which is what he wants you to do. It is not, you see, how many people ever heard of um, City of Faith? Ora Roberts had this big hospital somewhere in uh, Tulsa. And then one day he was in his office. And then David Wilkerson walked in. David Wilkerson said to him, the Lord said you should shut it down. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> this man had this massive, okay, imagine maybe, okay, maybe I build a university. Okay? And we have about 2,000 students. It's going on work. Things are moving with a bit of difficulty, but it's going very well. Then suddenly I sit in my office one day. And somebody walks and says, Pastor Banky, the Lord says shut the university down. Yeah, David Wilkerson walked up to Robert and said, the Lord said, shut it down. Robert was like, what? What did you say? So he took David Wilkerson there to see whether he would impress him. With they went around. David Wilkerson saw the place, my, my God. It was awe-inspiring. They went from one floor to the other, saw where the surgeries were done, the wards, the clinics, everything. The students went everywhere. So when they finished, David Wilkerson was so impressed. Wow, this is wonderful. So when they finished the talk, <laughs> Robert said, so what do you think? He said, this is wonderful. But the Lord said you should shut it down. <laughs> Robert was pained. He didn't shut it down. But you know what I like about that visit? The thing shut itself down to confirm the word of the Lord. At the point in time, there was no the place went bankrupt. It's now an office complex. They were hemorrhaging funds every month. After a while, he shut it down. The word of God was released to close the place, even though all of us liked it. I heard Kenegin in one of his messages lament that the place had to close down. Because they had doctors, listen, all the doctors were tongue-talking Christians. Before they operate, they join hands. They invoke the power of the Spirit. Beautiful hospital. But the prophet came on and said, hey, bros, God said, shut it down. Of course, it was hard for him to take the initiative by himself. But the word of the Lord had been activated. The place shut down by itself because they couldn't sustain it. The Lord withdrew support. So don't think God just, no, there are times God will close something for you. What am I teaching you to you? Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Remember I said he never does anything for his own benefit. Anything he does is for your good. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So, we go for such places. We take our scriptures, not because we're trying to learn principles of life. We're trying to discover Jesus. What is true worship? I said last time, you don't worship God. Until you have come to acknowledge the Son. And what am I explaining today? See your scriptures, your Bible, is a testimony of Jesus. When you go in there, what you are looking for is what the Lord is saying about Jesus Christ. You read Genesis chapter 1, look for Jesus in it. The easiest way to read Genesis chapter 1 is to read Colossians chapter 1 first. Read Hebrews chapter 1 first, and read John chapter 1, the first few verses first. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Those kind of things. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Then go and read Genesis chapter 1. You start hearing Jesus say, let there be light. I hope you're getting my point. You start hearing the voice of Jesus again. You start hearing the voice of Jesus again. 
You read the story about Abraham. You're not trying to read about Abraham. You're trying to read about Christ Jesus. There's, there's things we do once in, a, once in a while here. I take one particular character of the Old Testament and we'll look at his life. And why do we do that? We say it is simply because when God said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Bible didn't tell us any story about his life before them. About his work. We know about his conception and birth. We know about an encounter at the age of 12. The next thing we hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What happened from that, the time he was born, till the time he was 30? And I remember I explained that God didn't bother telling us because you can find it in the life of Abraham. You can find it in the life of Jacob. You can find it in the life of Isaac. You find it in the life of, Je- of um, Job. You find it in the life of David. You find out the life of all these people. That anytime we are studying either it's Joseph or we are studying David or we are studying Moses, we are not trying to learn those people. We are learning something about their lives which typified how Jesus lived, which made God look and say, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. What am I saying today? Let me end my message here. Listen. Anytime you pick your scriptures, know you are looking for one thing. And what is that? The testimony about whom? Jesus. Listen. Let's forget all this in reading the Bible to look for principles on how to do anything. That's how, no, it's amazing. Do you, you'd be amazed that this is how people miss Christ. These are people who have been in ministry for 20 years and they left Jesus Christ 15 years ago. And they are not aware. Because they kept on following principles, principles, principles. And the sad side is that except God actively frustrates those principles, they often get results. So sometimes people will build big ministries, big business, big everything. And Jesus said, I'm not there there. Just be looking at that church, I don't go there. There are churches that God doesn't go to. You know that. He doesn't, his name is there. He said, Me, I don't know them. Say that boy, I told him not to go to that place and go and start, but he wouldn't listen. I have tried to talk to him. Don't worry. You know, can Hagin say something that Jesus told him that if I didn't stop you, you wouldn't live beyond the age of 55. And what was the sin he was committing? It was not prophesying. What am I trying to say? Listen, the fact that you think you are serving God does not mean you are serving him. And this, this that, that, that's my message for today. This is deliverance. Anytime you pick your scriptures, look for Jesus. Please stop looking for how to. I hope you're getting my point. It's not about getting results. It's about knowing Jesus. He said, you said the scriptures, thinking in them you have eternal life. He said, but no, no, no. What are you supposed to get there? The testimony about me. It's one reason we'll take something like Psalm 2 and we declare it again. And again, is a testimony about Jesus Christ. When we read about Abraham, is a testimony about Jesus. And listen to this: as you are moving about in your life, every experience of your life, listen to what God is trying to do. Is using that experience combined with what you have learned from His Word, is using the experiences to bring Jesus out of you. Talked deep inside is the Spirit of Christ. Do you hear what I said? Talked deep inside your heart. Is the spirit of Christ. But it's not good enough for it to be there. It must be brought out in full manifestation. Anytime you get a disappointment, get to your knees. Now let me put the words like this. Say, Jesus, manifest. Did you, get, did you hear what I said? Yes. See, when Joseph looked at his brothers and said, am I in God's stead that I should kill and make alive? What do you mean that I should forgive you? 
It's not within my power to forgive. That he has so forgiven them that he thought it an embarrassment for him to be for them to be asking him to forgive. Let me ask you a question. Do you think, listen, oh, let me not ask the question, but think about an average person. What the, the, will an average person want to do? No, I won't do anything about buying. You must do that. To, even if it's me, I'm there, I say, Judah. That you, were saying, you, you were saying that uh, I was dreaming dreams. Did, did, didn't it come to pass now? <laughs> you see, I was dreaming dreams. Eh? I said the stars and moon. Are, but didn't you see the stars and moon? Let's just, just for the sake of Christ, let's just forgive you, but <laughs> Boy, you first rob it. <laughs> no, that's what the human nature that goes to church does. The one that doesn't go to church, just wait for our father to die. Godfather. <laughs> Michael Culeone. <laughs> Once the father is dead, he's shooting everybody <laughs> one by one. That's the one that doesn't go to church. But the one that goes to church, you say, no, no, just forget it. I just wanted you to know. Next time somebody is dreaming, eh? you should be a dream encourager. <laughs> but the Spirit of Christ will have none of that. Oh, the Spirit of Christ will have none of that. So you have, an, you have a disappointment, opportunity for the Spirit of Christ that's tucked inside to come out. You have a blessing also. It's not a disappointment. It's also an opportunity for the Spirit of Christ to what? To come out. Lazarus died around you. Don't forget that. Another opportunity for the Spirit of Christ to do what? To come out. Everything we are doing, we are pursuing just one thing. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. I think I've spoken enough for today. I trust I spoke the spirit by the Spirit of God. As I was speaking, the Lord must have been telling you something. Time to speak your heart out to the Lord. Remember, I said God gives gifts. He wants to give gifts to a few people this evening. You've not heard that before for some people. And God said, Go ahead, ask for those gifts. I want to give. I want to give. I want to give. Away with your own labor. It's about gifts. Your only is to walk in a manner pleasing to me. That's it. But anything you are going to get in life is a gift. Receive your gift. Just ask the Lord for it. Tell him to give you a gift.